Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the greatest generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek co- It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. I didn't know which show I was introing. Yeah. For like the, five seconds, I didn't know. We're, we're, we're stacking them and racking them today. We're recording a greatest generation and a greatest discovery back to back. And uh, I could I I could sense all of that in, <laughs> in the way you uh, introed the show. Normally, I mean, I was sharing with you uh, an anecdote about uh, about a person who was in my house fixing an electrical problem er- earlier, and I didn't quite understand what was happening. And and like the point of the story I was telling you was that I didn't understand the context clues. <laughs> And that's how that intro went. I didn't have any context clues to go off of, and right. so I was just blind. You need like the like what I've done here is I've got my information pad out in front of me, uh-huh. and I've got the 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 beginning of the episode we're about to review up on the screen. So that's good. I, I see those uniforms. I see the standard definitionness of it, and I know I know where I am. I can orient myself. That's great. That's a good job by you. What I've done is I've super embiggened Adobe Audition, and for some reason I didn't look at the file title or anything. I wasn't <laughs> looking at anything at all, Ben. I was just staring <laughs> off into the distance. Your eyes crossed. You were trying to do like a magic eye, but for life? I can't do the magic eye. I've never been able to do that. I've never been able to do it either. Hey, that's one thing you and I are alike about. I think that it's my weak eye muscles. Did you know I have uh, famously weak eye muscles? You got to work those babies out. You need to do eye kegels, Ben. Yeah, yeah. I told you about that, right? That in in high school, I uh, I had to go to like a clinic a couple times a week and do eye exercises. That sounds headache-inducing. Yeah, it, it sucks. Like. It's like... It's an hour of like looking at things and then you leave and you're exhausted. <laughs> and you're like, I just looked at stuff. Come on. That sounds like going to a museum in a tourist town. <laughs> this is barely a museum. What the fuck? <laughs> $15 entry for this? World's tallest filing cabinet? Indoor Old West ghost town? No, no, no. <laughs> you guys just found an old barn and repurposed the wood. You know, the subject of, uh, of home improvement came up earlier, Ben. Just now, I brought it up. That was me that did that. Uh-huh. And it made me wonder if that couldn't be kind of a recurring segment, because you, a, a new homeowner, me, a homeowner, constantly <laughs> fixing problems with my aging house, uh, I thought maybe if you had a story to share, maybe we could share... Share an episode of This Old Enterprise, <laughs> a, a quickie, because I have a story from today that I want to share that might be instructive to other people. Oh boy, lay it on me. So I, I'm going to start at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, my my wife and I have a stick vacuum mm-hmm. the, in addition to our regular vacuum, the kind you, you stick on a wall and then it's cordless and it's great. It's great for stairs especially. Oh, I've never had good luck with one of those because I feel like the battery is always too weak. 
You're not wrong about that, but in a in a house the small size of mine, what I primarily use it for is for the stairs. You want right. you don't want to attack those stairs with something with a cord. You use the stick vacuum for that. So we've got a, a closet here. That's a great place for a stick vacuum to charge, but there's no wall outlet in the closet. But there is that light switch to the closet light. Yeah. I'm looking at the light on the ceiling. I'm looking at the switch. I'm looking at a place at the bottom where a, a plug could go. I start to put it together. <laughs> there's there's some wires in that wall. Yeah. There's coffee in the nebula. There's wires in the wall. It's the classic stick vacuum charging lament. You, you want to... <laughs> Maybe that's the name of this segment. The classic lament. The classic homeowner's lament. <laughs> So I'm in the closet and I'm looking at the place where this could go and I'm like, I could do this. I've seen this a million times. You get one of those blue boxes, mm-hmm. you get you get the outlet, you run some some wire. You run, run a nice stretch of Romex down from the outlet. I've got Romex. I've got a shitload of Romex. <laughs> I go grab the Romex. I grab my wire cutters. I, I grab all the stuff. I've got extra blue boxes even. I'm, I love the blue boxes. Wow, you didn't even have to go to the home center. <laughs> I had a fine selection of blue boxes in my storage room. <laughs> so I go. I go get a blue box. I go get a, I go get a, a plug. I have everything. I got the, the, the cover. I've got it all. I'm ready to go. It's same day project. This never happens. I'm delighted by this. So I I get a drywall saw, the little the little uh, shorty drywall saw saw with the teeth, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. I love I love tracing the blue box. I love cutting with the drywall saw. It's great. Very satisfying. <laughs> but you want to make sure that there's no studs back there. I I did my research. There was no studs back there. I cut the box. I really the only stud is there in the closet. It's you, Adam. Yeah, the only stud is the guy holding the saw. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, blue box is in there. Romex is run. I got I to gotta use an extra long bit to drill through the horizontal piece of lumba inside the wall <laughs> because you can't just drop. This happens to me all the time. You can't just drop Romex through the wall. There's always... Uh, a barrier in the form of a two by four running yeah. horizontally. Some so, kind of cross bracing or something. That's why you're going to want to get yourselves <laughs> one of those one foot long, one inch bits <laughs> so that you can telescopically cut through that thing, which mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. Drop the Romex, plug everything up. Everything comes together great. Everything's working. Stuff is charging. Wow. But something weird happens. The weird thing is that when I turn off the closet light, the closet light is flashing. What? At regular intervals. On, off. On, off. That that could drive somebody mad. Off. I wish you would stop saying that. (laughs) Off. It's basically the most upsetting thing you've ever done, and I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it's so the choice is either uh, leave the light on and unplug the light bulb. That was the choice I made. Or uh, close the closet door and and experience the on-offing of the light inside forever. I knew I did something wrong. I just didn't know what. But the variables were such that I couldn't quite find the answers on the Google. Mm. And so we lived this way <laughs> for months. <laughs> <laughs> Until an electrician was visiting our house for another reason. And I was like, 
you got to check out this closet situation I have. And this guy checks it out. And this guy's great. If you need an electrician, I'll, I'll refer him to you. Oh, I, I, I do. This guy cracks open my work. Work I had previously been very proud of. <laughs> and patiently explains to me how I fucked up <laughs> this wiring job. And how I could have overloaded the stick vacuum charger and like melted it and possibly like caught shit on fire in the closet. Oh boy, that's the that is the big scary thing about messing with your own electric is the what if this melts in the wall or something. Here's the lesson. The big takeaway from from this whole thing was not that I'm an idiot. That's just one of the lessons of every episode of Greatest Gen. <laughs> that's a given. <laughs> It's that one of the wires was was mislabeled. You know, you get your your black and your white. Uh, he actually took out a marker and and drew on the wire that should have had a black line on it because Whoa. it didn't. And so that and so I miswired the switch to the plug. I'm sure this is driving our professional electricians crazy. Whoever's <laughs> listening, I'm explaining all of this wrong. But my point is, I all of the tradesmen in the audience are screaming yeah. at their pod catcher tradesman for whom we have the utmost respect then yeah. and now but but he was like yeah uh, now more wire. than ever i feel like because like yeah. this is this is one of those things that just reveals how much you don't know you don't know and i was like yeah you know what you know what i didn't do i didn't i didn't open up the light on the ceiling and opening up the light on the ceiling would have confirmed the wire that I would right. have known was one thing that was the other. So he was very nice. He was like, yeah, you know, you did fine otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> They're there. They're there. Yeah. When, when you're a homeowner, you must prepare yourself to, uh, for great embarrassment in front of your laborer. <laughs> when you try to do things yourself. And that was me. This is another instance of homeowner embarrassment. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I I have hesitated to embark on any electrical project more advanced than replace broken switch cover, you know, <laughs> so far. But uh, there's a couple of things that I've been thinking about. Uh, you know what? Them... You, could, uh, you could do a good bit of business if that was your only job. Yeah. Every uh, switch cover in my home is broken. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild yeah. that people just leave them broken. They're so... I got I got a 10-pack for like two bucks. You and, can get unbreakable switch covers. Yeah, yeah. I got I got a 10-pack of the kind that, you know, they show the video of the guy like twisting it 180 oh, yeah. degrees, you know? Love that shit. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> speaking of almost killing yourself, Adam, do you want to get into an episode of Deep Space Nine where a killer is on the loose? I didn't intend to conjure such a great pivot, <laughs> but look at what I did, and look at what you did. <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah, let's do it. It's uh, Deep Space Nine, Season 7, Episode 13, Field of Fire. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no. Of course you don't. Yeah, that title kind of gives the whole thing away, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, with a title like that, you, you don't have to watch the episode, which <laughs> uh, I recommend you don't. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. Getting the review out right at the beginning. You know, our, our show is on a, a new measuring system for <laughs> metrics. They're important to advertisers. And you and I, 
I, I believe we still don't know. Like, it's totally inscrutable how yeah. how a show's uh, downloads and listens are measured. Yeah, we, uh, what you're talking about is the the number of downloads that our our new host assesses us to have is a very different number from what our right. old host assessed us to have. I just made a terrible mistake by giving away my feelings of the episode. We're going to get, like half of the regular amount of <laughs> listens to this as we would, which is already half of what we were expecting in the first place. The thing that's maddening about it is our old host we loved, and uh, there were, you know, things things we liked about them. There, I, I think there are a lot of things we like about the new host as well. But our old host was like, hey, you guys are getting kind of a shitload of downloads, and it's like we need to start charging you more. So, yeah. so we went to this new host, and now they're like, you're not really getting a shitload of downloads. Is the web hosting equivalent of kicking someone out of an all-you-can-eat restaurant for just being able to eat a lot? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, uh, we paid the flat fee, and we're getting... <laughs> Sir, you've taken too many peel-and-eat shrimps. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't think you were going to take all of the Alaskan king crab legs when you, when you paid the thirty nine ninety five. Yeah. We could tell you meant business because you wore those metal gloves you used for <laughs> shucking oysters. Uh, Bashir is toasting a pilot. This guy's name is Hector Alario. Uh, he is, uh, they, they call him a fighter pilot, but he's, he's like the helmsman for the, the little D, the new helmsman. I believe our very first shot includes Lieutenant Hector Alario, and my note is, in parentheses, who will be dead by the end of the episode. <laughs> Little did I know how wrong that would be. Wow, see, are, are you trying to put some suspense back into our episode by... <laughs> right. I'm, I'm the suspense goalie of this episode. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going if, great. If, if, uh, if suspenseful storylines are a turnoff for you, I'm here to make this one a lot better. Bashir just can't, can't help but toast the, the shit out of this guy. To Lieutenant Hector Hilario. You're the best. I'm the worst. I wouldn't mind hearing a little more. Even Kira is like, hey, maybe ease off the toast throttle a little bit. <laughs> and Bashir just wants to wax eloquent. He and O'Brien are telling Ilario, like, dude, you are the greatest. Seriously, anything you want, we got you. And what Ilario wants is the one thing that they cannot do. Next time you two go to the hollow suite, I'd like to come along. Can't be done. Now it's out of the question. It's impossible. This is the danger of even saying something like, if there's anything we can do. Yeah, don't say that. The hollow suite is off limits to the, if there's anything we can do offer. Ilario yeah. really steps in it. This was not cool of him to ask. And because they're, they're going to go do their Davy Crockett, the Alamo adventure. And uh, they don't want any like Johnny come lately's. They don't want anyone to see what that program's about, really. No one wants to know where O'Brien wears the hat. I'm just like looking at this scene and wondering if due to Hector Ilario's ethnic background, he would be on the other side of that program from them. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why they don't, they don't, they're like, we actually don't want you to kick our ass in the game. You understand. I suppose. Maybe that's what was going on. Anyways, uh, instead he hangs out and does like by far the better activity, which is drink with 
Ezri and Kira. Yeah, but he makes that mistake by uh here's here's the thing. Here's here's what I've picked up over a lifetime of drinking. <laughs> a lifetime of poor choices. You want to leave the hang before the last drink as the group dies down into you know, five, four, and three people. I think you want to be out of there before the last three people. Yeah, and you don't. You never want to be the most faded guy at the hang. Like, yeah, Hector is on one. He is fucking knocking drinks back. He is swaying. He is stumbling. He he even gets demoted over the course of this scene because at the beginning, Bashir is toasting him as Lieutenant Ilario, and by the end, Ezri is like, "Yeah, I, I know what a drunken ensign is, but I look at one." Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> that is such a low-key burn. He doesn't even notice it. He, th- he still thinks he has a shot. They've been drinking real sorry and brandy. Yeah. Stuff really packs a punch. You can't just dismiss the effects like with Synthahol. No. He, he gets her back into his apartment and even like makes a pass at her using a riff on a Churchill quote. You're very beautiful. And you're very drunk. <laughs> you cannot reason with a tiger! When your head is in its mouth! Good night, Laria. And uh, she slams the door on his dick. <laughs> Which uh, was the right choice. I mean... Then, you know, the doors of Deep Space Nine uh, don't have that sensor that garage doors have that <laughs> won't close on a toddler. Like, right, right. Like, these garage doors will close on a dick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> When we're installing these doors, we have decided not to put the optical sensor. That way, when young lieutenants make passes at other young lieutenants, they have the option of giving them an object lesson in why that is an inappropriate ask. We've tested these doors using a pack of ballpark frankfurters. <laughs> it's like the saw stop video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the saw stop video, but with a dick. (laughs) We cut to the exterior, Ben, and the hood remains docked at Deep Space Nine. Yeah. The hood's not going anywhere. No. (laughs) That's probably why Quarks is so empty these days. People are partying on the hood. I know. That's where I would go. Fucking A. Yeah. Anyways, Ezra wakes up the next morning early. She's an early riser, which sucks, right? Like, you, you have a late night of knocking back the brandies and then and then your fucking alarm goes off at 6 a.m. Do you think it's easier to get bed hair with shorter hair or longer hair? Because she pops up and does not look like she's been in bed in a in a useful way if you want to get to work without having a shower or something. Well, that's the thing, Adam. I mean, she crawled into bed at 4.30 a.m. So uh, yeah, she was barely in there. <laughs> she didn't have enough time to muss her hair yeah, or makeup. She, like, has herself a cup of tea and then is, like, wandering out into the hallway when security guards are running by, and she runs to Hector Alario's quarters, which has now become a crime scene, Adam. Lieutenant Alario has been killed. He's got a big, gory wound in his chest, and uh, it's not just a—it's uh, not just a phaser that killed him. He got shot with a gun, a real projectile. I'm an enthusiast of 20th-century crime novels, and I've 
made myself into this chalk outline around Alaria. What do you think? <laughs> I'm also that caution tape over there and the little easels of paper enumerating clues on the floor. I really lost a bet here, Ben, because I guessed Alaria would be dead by the end of the episode. Uh, he's dead by the end of the cold open. <laughs> he is, yeah. The speculation is that the murder weapon is a Starfleet TR-116 rifle, which is something that we speculated a lot about in Borgs-based episodes of TNG. Why isn't there a projectile weapon in the Starfleet arsenal? And it turns out there was. The way that they describe this weapon's utility is basically in circumstances where Borgs are involved. Right, but they don't say the B word. They use a lot of techno babble about like Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek, but <laughs> yeah, damping but you fields. and I both know that yeah. uh, that it's all about shooting Borgs. Yeah. Anyways, the, the this kind of narrows the range of suspects to a category of people that they daren't consider as possible murder suspects because only Starfleet officers would have access to the replicator patterns that you would need to make such a weapon. Disturbing thought, isn't it? Yeah, you can't just go into a, uh, a Joanne gun store. <laughs> And get any get any pattern for any weapon you want. It is really disturbing to think what society could look like if people can start 3D printing guns. It'd feel very scary, wouldn't it? Yeah. They've got a couple of other clues. One is that the bullet traveled just a few inches, so point-blank range of kill, except for no powder burns. So it's a, it's a stone-cold mystery. How did that happen? Pretty interesting bit of business here. Cisco reveals himself to be kind of a gun nut. He's the subject matter expert here. Odo and Bashir are looking at him like, where did this come from? What? Why Why do you know so much about this? But I guess it's right if they're keeping these weapons on the station, which they clearly are for some reason. How did you know that? I feel like if you lost a wife at Wolf 359, this is oh, a yeah. particular area of interest for you. Like, how do you fend off Borgs? You'd want to sleep with one of these under your triangle pillow. <laughs> it's so big, though. Yeah. So, so we get a, a couple of scenes that I really liked because it was just about kind of how sad and confused the Starfleets are about this. There's a scene with O'Brien, Bashir, and Esri just sitting in the bar talking about this, and it's like it's so far outside of their experience to think of somebody just being murdered. And I really, I thought that was a nice bit of writing. Like, I, I liked the that the episode kind of pulled the car over for a second and just let us see how these characters feel about this because it's so, like, they live in a utopia. Like, people don't kill each other, at le- least of all Starfleets. And I thought that was, like, nicely observed. There is that moment where Cisco is is looking at the Friday death report and, and the and the growing wall of names. And then he looks over at Bashir and O'Brien and Esri sharing in their grief over Alario. And he's like, Doctor, please. Alario <laughs> is one man. I know, I know it's sad, but I've got this wall over here. Yeah. But I mean, like, I think that the episode also makes the case for those things feeling different, right? Because mm-hmm. like, it talks about like the difference between murder and 
killing in combat and 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 why that's different why it why it feels different i mean and the many different types of survivor's guilt because yeah. they didn't know Olario very well and and there's the feeling that they wish they had been kinder to him right if we just let him kick our ass in our video game we wouldn't we wouldn't be here talking about what a great guy he used to be Ezri's like if i didn't close the door on his dick i mean <laughs> Maybe his corpse would have a whole dick on it. Yeah, we, the, the mortician wouldn't have to touch that up for the open casket rock-hard dick funeral that his will stipulates. Where the bottom door is open instead of the top. <laughs> you know what, Ilario came from a different culture. We can't just make fun of it, okay? <laughs> we do get to see the uh, the flag draped coffin they don't open the bottom half unfortunately yeah i mean and and you know that flag draped torpedo tube is getting a lot of use this season <laughs> yeah it sure they don't is. even put it away between episodes yeah it, i did see that it was a little bit tented yeah. you know sort of toward the middle <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> that stood to reason bashir is comforting esri in this scene for one reason but Ezri's pain is coming from somewhere else, and that is she knows what it's like to be a murderer because Jor and Dax killed three people. So it's not like a grief over Ilario as much as it is like processing the idea of murder from a different perspective. Yeah, and it's like kind of a distant and weird but familiar in an uncomfortable way feeling. And we cut from this to what I initially thought was going to be a orb experience but was just a dream right sometimes hard to tell the difference between those on this show center frame composition is often dream language on star trek yeah and, and very wide angle yeah tracking shots in the hallways is is very star trek dream language mm-hmm. she's in the habitat ring or something and there's bajoran security walking around and they're uh they're taking the killer into custody, and uh, the killer turns out to be Hector Alario. What? But you're dead. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That's because it's dream logic, Ben. Right. But then uh, she has an encounter in this dream with Joran, and Joran kind of prevails upon her in the context of the dream like, uh, hey, I can I can help you. You know how like Hannibal Lecter could get in the, inside the mind of the killer. You've got a Hannibal Lecter inside your head. Just unlock it. There's a way that Ezri can do this. It's the right of emergence. Mm-hmm. If only she was up for that. I don't want your help. Maybe not, but you need it. She shoots up in bed because she's getting a phone call though, and. Uh, I mean, like, much like Joran's M.O., this has now turned into a serial killing situation because there's been another murder. Poor Greta Vanderwig. Yeah. Same cause of death as Ilario. The magic bullet theory alive and well on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> they really got to close down the Deep Space Nine book depository. I think, I think that settles it. Why would someone open an umbrella on the top level of the promenade? That would, <laughs> there's, there's no rain. Forecast yeah. that day doesn't make any sense, does it? <laughs> and why is that Klingon happened to be taking eight millimeter footage of everything? The Capruder film. <laughs> That's what we needed. 
<laughs> that right there. <laughs> Frost that cake, brother. It's a, it's, it, you know, like the more evidence they get, the more confused they are. And they need to start narrowing down who could have, have done this. And Cisco turns to Ezri and is like, like, you know, like how FBI profilers exist? Are you that now? And she's like, uh, and he's like, great, you're that now. Everyone has this thinly veiled interest in something related to 20th century investigatory practices. Right. <laughs> what an interesting coincidence, given yeah. when this show was written. What mean forensic psychology, Rambo? <laughs> it wasn't my favorite subject. There is a scene where Bashir and O'Brien are having a little bit of lunch together. And um, they're talking about Davy Crockett, their favorite subject. And Davy Crockett uh, taught himself to shoot in this way where he could, like, ricochet bullets off of things. And Bashir is just kind of rambling on and on about this part of this book that he likes. And O'Brien is like, that cracks it. That's, what, that's, how, that's how it happened. They're, they're beaming the bullets. The bullets are being beamed at him. Julian, you're a genius. Well, don't thank me. Thank David Crockett. It's incredible. Just it's an like, incredible bit of business. It's like this rifle is part exocomp. So O'Brien does a classic TV thing, which is a show not tell of a of a yeah. key insight in the murder investigation, which is that he has Ezra and Odo come into the science lab and put on some goggles, and then from a different part of the station, he shoots a big purple melon that he set up in the middle of the room. They really, really should have slimed Odo and Ezri in this scene, I feel like. That's the expectation, right? He has them keep backing up, and I'm like, no! Just surprise them with a bunch of melon! When this scene was playing out, I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is going to be a CSI scene. And then I went to look up when CSI was on TV. It wasn't on TV until October of the year 2000. They beat CSI. This, they probably just stole the entire idea of CSI from this episode. It's very inspiring. Yeah. I love this scene. This yeah, is the this, best scene of the episode. It's the best scene of the episode, but it should have been the Nickelodeon splatter all over Ezra and Odo. It would have just made it so much fun. <laughs> You know what's great about this scene is that they can't show you O'Brien out in the hallway doing this because that would look ridiculous, right? <laughs> like part of it is is setting up a CSI scene because CSI scenes are cool and the mystery surrounding this, but you also actually can't show O'Brien because that would look dumb. Yeah. Odo is really psyched about the implications of this weapon because you can basically be standing anywhere on the station and shoot and kill someone. I don't see any bullet holes. It explains almost everything about these deaths, except who did them. Yeah, it deepens the mystery. But another thing that I would love an explanation for is why Ezri is just like hanging out alone, doing nothing at all in the replimat. Yeah, didn't Cisco put her on the task of forensic psychology? Yeah. Looks like she's not doing shit. She's just sitting there by herself. Station's totally shut down. You you know that it's super late because Morn is taking Lady Friend back to his quarters. You know Morn shuts Quarks down. You know he does. And uh, it's it's one of those horror movie scenes where the lady is walking around in a creepy dark environment, telling whoever is listening that 
She doesn't think it's a funny joke that they're making creepy noises. Turns out that Worf is looking after slash stalking her. Thank you, Worf. That's sweet. What the fuck, Worf? <laughs> Pretty high creep factor. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> like, she is relieved by this. I feel like she should have been like, eh... I'm going to talk to the captain about getting reassigned to a different station or ship. It seems like the station should never be sufficiently empty for a scene like this to be possible. Yeah. I remember when I moved to New York, um, when I was moving into the dorms in my uh, in my school, like I, somebody asked the RA and the like meeting, you know, meeting the RA thing, like, when is it not safe to go out at night? Uh, and he's like, I don't know, like it's, there's usually a lot of people around. It's like, it doesn't really feel dangerous at, you know, like sometimes you'll go out at 4am and there'll be more people around than at 4pm. And <laughs> I feel like that's how Deep Space Nine should be. It should be the station that never sleeps. Yeah. If you can make it on Deep Space Nine, you can make it anywhere. That's what they say about it. <laughs> Worf cannot make it on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> he asks, can I help with the investigation? And she's like, no. <laughs> we know your reputation around here. You suck at this kind of thing. Esri fails to see how much help Worf can provide because she clearly needs the counsel of someone familiar with murdering people. Worf <laughs> is right there. Worf has murdered lots and lots of people on this show. Yeah, you don't even have to pray to get Worf to appear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's right behind you. <laughs> so what the episode wants you to believe is that this is a breakthrough for the Worf and Ezri relationship. But what you and I have presupposed is that it was not. <laughs> it and sure instead isn't. a real creep show. Yeah. Really creepy. What are you doing now? I was surprised to learn that Esri keeps a fondue pot going at all times in her apartment. You always want to be ready to entertain, I think, <laughs> especially if you're a new crew person on the station. Is this like the the cassoulet at Le Centrale in San Francisco, where it's it? She just adds more ingredients to it periodically, but it's it's never not kind of going and not kind of the same fondue. You know, I I had that exact thing in my notes: the cassoulet at La. La at La Centrale in San yeah. Francisco. Uh-huh. A famous yeah. French restaurant that's had the same cassoulet going for like five decades. Oh, yeah. I, I bet the color's the same. I did not <laughs> like the look of this fondue. It looked looked pretty dark. Yeah, it was kind of nasty looking. So, Esri performs the rite of emergence to the mystical sounds of the pan flute. Joran Tanas Rem. Klaatu Verata Nikto. Voke Esri. This scene uh, is emblematic of so many in this episode, crippled by the musical score. I I tend to agree. I I think that um, I feel like we're also comparing Deep Space Nine a lot to Lower Decks and Discovery, which have such splendid music that Mm -hmm. it's kind of like maybe this is just medium good music but it it seems so bad by comparison you can feel the show strain against itself in that 
we've got to stick a musical hat on top of what we're seeing because it just doesn't make sense to see a guy appear out of thin air unless it's supported by something. Right. You know, like, and and we can't smoke the room. <laughs> like, like, what are the things that are available to us? I guess it's score. Yeah. But um, Joran appears like the Red Baron pizza man. You won't regret this, Esri. To Esri. And it's clear really like from this scene and in so many others involving Esri that being a Trill is kind of a controlled schizophrenia. He's always been there. He's just been suppressed very deeply and now he's out. Yeah. And she talks about him being separated from the others in this context. Like it kind of singles out this one part of her personality in a way that is not, it's usually a kind of more of a chorus. Now he's getting a solo. You want to partition your mental hard drives into <laughs> sections where your murderers live. And then uh, your little gymnasts and your your other hosts that you barely remember. Hi, I'm Tom Silva for this old Macintosh. <laughs> Today we're installing an OS 2.0 operating system into this trill. Now it's a very old system. It's really what you call... A symbiotic lament. Later, we're going to show you how to change icons on folders. So so he kind of becomes her get into the mind of a killer coach. Mm-hmm. And the first lesson is get this gun that, that uh, the Chief O'Brien has replicated and like feel what it is like to look down the barrel of a killer's weapon and have somebody in your sights and experience that power. Lee McCloskey is the actor who plays Joran, and I feel like he makes some really specific choices with how he plays this character, mostly by really Jim carrying around his physicality, I think. I think you and I have talked before about how on-screen close between characters is much, much closer than real-life close. No No one talks to another person as close as people do on on TV and in movies, but Joran talks even closer. <laughs> He's also like almost always behind her. Yeah. And yeah. and kind of like breathing down her neck in a way that is very predatory feeling. I feel like I feel like that's good direction because he he kind of has the the physicality of a predator and that is what his character is. Pull the trigger. Find out. I think it's part of the 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 dreamscape language of the show like he can't be normal he can't act normal he can't talk to Ezri normally he's got to have it up to 11 in yeah. all of his scenes so it can feel off god i loved the special effect of her looking through the special viewfinder on this rifle like zooming through walls of the station and like seeing the little gaps in the walls full of weird space equipment and then you know zooming in and out through even more bulkheads. It was really cool. I really like that it uses a trackball. It's so bad. 
Yeah, the, the, the controls on the side of the gun is, is such an, a nice detail that I feel like they they didn't even need to show how she was controlling it, but they chose to, and it was it was cool. Using a slice of cucumber as a targeting display uh, is a really nice way to reduce the bags under your eye, also. <laughs> yeah. Is she going to be, like, a little lopsided, though? Is it going to look like she yeah. had, like, the mask on one side but not the other? You know that they tried out a double cucumber targeting <laughs> system, and it yeah. just looked too weird. <laughs> he gets her to a point where she's got some some poor schmuck who has no idea how close he is to death in her sights. He, this guy is like drinking a cup of coffee in his apartment by himself. It's a peeping gun, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> it's creepy as hell. Yeah. Hey, Esri. Oh, it's a peeping. <laughs> Tommy, 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 Tommy. Joran is telling Esri like punch his ticket and she and she does that thing where she like rips off the headset and throws the rifle down and says no it's a scene that really establishes a couple of things right like whoever the killer is has got to be getting off on on the distance but it's also like a self-control thing right when you're at that kind of remove there's kind of a distance involved with the power a godlike power even that yeah. that you don't get when you're up close and murdering someone i'm i'm here to tell you ben when you murder someone up close <laughs> uh-huh. uh, the feelings are extreme yeah but that's yeah. that those are not feelings that you see esri display when when she's got someone in the crosshairs from the yeah. other side of the station it's really a shame there are so many little moments when you <laughs> kill someone with a knife <laughs> She, she goes for the knife later, but just right. not just yet. Uh, the cat is out of the bag here. Esri has let Joran into her, into her world. So she is like ducating in public around the station. Like she's walking around the promenade talking to Joran and Quark takes some concern. Like, I think you need a vacation. You're talking to yourself. I think the show would like you to think that Quark notices because he's interested in Esri romantically, and so he would take a greater interest in what she's doing if she's in his orbit. But yeah. everyone on the promenade should notice this. This should be bizarre. What if he was like, hey, listen, um, a few weeks ago, they started up the Vic Fontaine program and <laughs> never shut it off, and like nobody has gone in there since then. You seem a little bit unstable right now, and he is like by far the best uh, psychologist on the station no offense uh if you could just go in there it would like really help my costs there's a cameo by nog who who walks by like on the other sort of pedestrian walkway and we uh we punch in close on him he kind of double takes esri and then like shakes his head like fuck is wrong with her <laughs> can't believe she was trying to give me psychology advice uh-huh. There is another murder, right? Yeah, uh, there's been a a connection between the murder victims. I'm calling them Tims for short. <laughs> Apostrophe Tims. Uh, they were both killed in their quarters. Is that a coincidence or a connection? Is a question Joran asks. Yeah, I mean, like nothing else seems to link these people. They didn't know each other. They served relatively different amounts of time on the station. It doesn't seem like they. Uh, have anything that could could be compared that's what makes this murderer so dangerous yeah they're talking about all these things in in quarks uh which is a dangerous place to be having a conversation with your imaginary friend but uh 
uh, a a Starfleet is like running from security, and Esri kicks a chair over to knock the guy down, and then jumps on top of him and is about to stab this guy with a knife, like the Joker. Yes, yes, do it, do it. When uh, Odo takes the knife out of her hand, that's enough. And uh, and then we get a a pretty hard-boiled scene in Cisco's office where he's like, "Why were you using this knife?" Guns! Guns are much better! Ensign Bertram punches Esri before Esri thinks about stabbing him. How important do you think that moment is to that scene? Because if Ensign Bertram doesn't attack Esri, I think the moment with the knife feels far more unhinged. Right. I, uh, yeah, I wonder about that. Like, I I wish they had given us one line about, oh yeah, Bertram is out of Starfleet now because you don't run from the cops and then punch another officer who's stopping you if you're in Starfleet. Right. But, like, I mean, speaking of gun nuts, Bertram turns out to have been asked about the fact that he replicated a a TR-116, and that's why he ran from the cops, because he didn't, like, have permission to do it. He just threw away his whole Starfleet career. He sounds too unstable to be in Starfleet. He was on Bajor during the first murder, so it wasn't him, babe. Yeah. It wasn't him. Morn, morn. Morn. Sweet. Morn. 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 You hear, buddy? Morn. Stop. Have a time. At this point, Ezri tries to put the Joran back in the bottle, but Odo calls Ezri about yet another murder. This time it's a Bolian with the same cause of death. Yeah, Zimbrot, his chest shot, and uh, this is now... Three three characters that don't seem to have anything linking them. The the first two were human, so it seemed like maybe that had something to do with it. But now now a bolian has been introduced, that eliminates it. But Zimbrat has one prop in his apartment that is very similar to props in the other two victims' apartments, and that is a photograph of him laughing. That's what the victims have in common: pictures of laughing faces. They all have framed pictures of the dead people laughing with crew people. Why doesn't Esri tell everyone she knows and everyone at the station to get rid of their framed photographs (laughs) of themselves laughing? Well, the last thing you want to do is cause a panic. So don't give people information that they could use to protect themselves. What you end up doing is, is creating a framed photography bubble Uh, increasing the value of frames and the photographs inside a run on them even on the on the michaels aboard (laughs) deep space nine yeah yeah imagine imagine the fallout if that had happened yeah it'd be weird flower arranging foam everywhere (laughs) (laughs) so but this this unlocks it for her she realizes that the killer must be a vulcan with an axe to grind some vulcan that that resents expressions of laughter because he or she has been traumatized. And so now it's a process of narrowing down the Vulcans on Deep Space Nine. There's 48 serving. One of them has to be the killer. It's got to be a Vulcan. 
How badly did you want a montage here of infinite Vulcans of infinite diversity? Like, <laughs> I wanted a usual suspect scene where it's just lineup after lineup or like a little binder full of pictures of Vulcans. Yeah, yeah. All the, every 48 that are on the station. Right. You, you, see, you see them come in for, the, for the, the lineup and one of them is Kramer. Right. <laughs> He's just here for a paycheck. Joran and Ezri are, are talking about what a great scene that would have been right. when when a when a Vulcan enters the lift that they're on, and Joran knows right away that this is the killer. Yeah, well, he's going to level K fifty five. What do you think K stands for, Adam? Are you addressing me? Yeah, it doesn't mean Kronos. That's for sure. <laughs> it means killer, killer fifty five. Ezri's not going to arrest him right there on the lift. No. She, does she have the authority to do that even? I feel like she is not prepared in any way because this guy is way bigger than her. She's not armed or anything. And, you know, we know Vulcans have super strength. She's involved in a criminal investigation and does not work with Odo at all. Yeah, very few interactions between her and Odo yeah. in this episode. Like at the beginning, of course, but... yeah. Yeah, it somehow it somehow becomes only her job to solve this, and like when she starts to get onto it, it's not a report back to the task force moment for her. It is a go further into my solo operation moment for right. her. But she starts researching this dude. He used to surf on the USS Grissom, Adam. Yeah. JTS the Bond commanding. Yeah, when the Grissom was lost, uh, it was just all the rule books floating in space. <laughs> Really yeah. sad scene. You know they cut to the wide shot in Star Trek, so real quiet and sad. Yeah, those those pages floating around in orbit of the Genesis planet. Science officer Chulak was one of the six survivors on that ship. So now to catch him, she starts using the the gun that Chief O'Brien replicated to violate the privacy rights of everyone on the station until she can find him. And then they're doing that thing where they're looking down the barrel of their sniper rifles at each other. Oh, that's so fun. Esri manages to get the money shot of the non-lethal shoulder hit, whereas Chulak hits the wall behind her. You fulfilled the promise of any movie or television show having to do with sniper rifles when you get this scene. Yeah. I mean, the only better thing is getting the thing where the bullet goes through the scope yeah. and into the eye of the sniper. But because oh, this gun is best. not configured that way, this is this is what you have to do. Just imagine all of the cucumber and cucumber seeds <laughs> everywhere with a shot like that. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. She uh, she goes into his quarters, which seems to be like pretty close because he's still like <laughs> crawling, belly crawling across the floor to get his gun. Yeah. His his motivation, Adam, was that logic demanded it. That's why he killed all those people. Logic that's told him. That's all you need. All you need is logic. <laughs> da, 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 da. All you need is logic. Joran is all up in Ezri's ear about finishing the job. This is like this is like the end of a Mortal Kombat fight. Like, <laughs> it's it's time for Ezri to finish him. Yeah. For a moment you think she might. Uh, but, but for a she moment, doesn't. you think she might call the security services too, right? Yeah, she, she doesn't, doesn't even call them. She calls Bashir. 
Yeah. Julian, oh. this I shot a guy and he pissed himself. You told me to <laughs> call you any time something like that happened. The piss and the blood are mixing, and I'm not sure if you're into that, but... <laughs> of course I am. I just put down a towel. <laughs> Hell yeah. The button on the episode is uh, is Esri doing the rite of disappearance. Shehal Basha. Inora Jakalovo. <laughs> Thus, getting rid of Joran, and... Uh, and there seems to be an implied, not so much a promise, but but the situation is that Joran won't be able to be buried as deeply as he once was after this experience. He's going to be more on the surface, like Pl- like the rest of Ezri's previous hosts. He's going to have equal status to what Curzon enjoys or whatever. It's going to be a real... Uh, Joran versus Board of Education inside Esri. Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, I think we already know the answer to this question, Adam. But did you like the episode? You really want to do this here? Now, okay, okay, let's do it. I feel like this was the sex candle episode of Deep Space Nine. Whoa, damn. And I really think it was absurd. There were a couple of bright points, but the bright points to me were just like payoffs that I really wanted to have happen, like like sniper scope to sniper scope. Yeah. But I like the character of Ezri Dax. I like Nicole DeBoer as Ezri Dax. I'm done with Ezri Dax now. I feel like we've gotten like three out of the last five episodes about her. I think I'm ready to get back to the war. There's wow. a war raging out there, Ben. I don't know if you know that. There's a war going on outside. No man is safe from. You could run, but you can't hop forever. What about you, Ben? I really liked this episode. Oh, I feel totally on. differently from you. I thought come it was on. a very fun Star Trek as a place, and we're going to do a, a murder mystery in Star Trek episode. This was just an opportunity for you to get up on your anti-gun high horse and and <laughs> and, and wave your non-gun holding hands around. I, d- I don't know, man. This is a trash episode. I think you know it. I disagree with you. <laughs> it's okay for us to not agree. I think it was a good episode. I thought it was a fun whodunit. I think that CSI stealing the premise of it is yeah. uh, is all the evidence I need to defend my case. Yeah, that, that show, every version of CSI went into syndication. That's how great of an idea it was. Yeah. Got fucking rich as hell making CSI. God, I wish I had CSI money. <laughs> yeah. I could have an electrician on retainer. Yeah, that guy could just be there every week. Yeah. Like all your other contractors. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, every week we have to check our priority one messages, Ben. What do you say? We give those a look. See if if we've got the neutral connected properly. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. The interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Our first priority one message here is from Martin and Renee, and it's to Gart. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. There, there is a pronunciation guide, but uh, I'm not sure if I read it right. But anyways, here's the message. It goes like this. Thank you, dear friend. Wait, did I say the other part about Gert? Gert has been listening from the beginning. Wow. Way to go, Gert. I got so distracted by being worried if I pronounced the name correctly, which I don't think I did. (laughs) See, now you're just up in your own head, man. I'm up in my own head. Let me just do the message. Thank you, dear friend, for introducing us to this pod. 
So far, 2020 has been rife with war crimes. But your recommendation to watch TGG and TGD has made our days brighter. Now, as your birthday approaches, we send some scarves to Ben and Adam in your honor in the hopes that they will continue to review Earl Trick Everywhere. And uh, it looks like we are uh, almost two months late on this. This was meant to be wow. for September 14th. But uh, but happy birthday, Gert. And I'm sorry I fucked your name up. We're a little late celebrating the uh, date of Gert's Bert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Then our second priority one message is from Jeff, the Canadian socialist. <laughs> hey, do you know this guy? Uh, it's to Ben and Adam. Yeah, we're pen pals. The message goes like this. Tens of thousands of viewers, now I feel like a self-entitled douche for bugging you with trivial emails. But my OCD runs deeper than Ben's ADD and I need closure. <laughs> it was Teflon. And a message to those, like myself, who are still working, double down on your contribution during the pandemic. Some of us can't support STGGG and FF right now. Thank you, Jeff, the Canadian socialist. I don't remember what the Teflon thing is referring to. <laughs> I don't either. I haven't, I haven't been in our email box in a while, so maybe yeah. it's in reference to that. I think the reason I haven't checked the email box in a while is that because of the move, I have still just got a zillion boxes everywhere, and I look at the mailbox and, like, at least 50% of it is requests for the P.O. box, and that's an invitation for more boxes to come to my house, and I, I want to get back to it, but I'm just, it's just like, it's a source of stress at the moment, so apologies about the Teflon thing and not knowing what that is. Maybe we do it on the Instagram. I was thinking, uh, you know, Hodgman does that thing, or, or he did that thing, where he interviewed people with pets. Oh, yeah. If you took control of the Greatest Gen Instagram feed, did a live stream, and then invited me to it, then we could have a two-frame live video where you're on wow. one and I'm on the other, and we could do packages like that. That would be really fun. Let's let's uh, let's give that a try sometime. I do have a bunch of packages here that uh, came with me in the move, so yeah. <laughs> uh, we could definitely try that. That sounds like fun because I think a lot of people like to see what that stuff is too, and we're not really great. It's hard because we record these so far in advance. It's hard to remember to uh, share pictures and stuff when the episode drops. So maybe that's something we can do. Yeah, that's worth that's worth exploring for sure. Well, thank you to everyone that got a priority one message. And if you would like to get one, head to maximumfund.org/jumbotron. It is a hundred bucks for a personal message and two hundred for a commercial message. And we really appreciate it because it helps us cover the cost of this here program. Hey, Adam. Sap in. Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? I don't know if you've ever had a hobby that that you love. You loved so much, like to the exclusion of all other concerns, <laughs> personal or professional. <laughs> Ensign Bertram loves guns so much that he's willing to break Starfleet law to create a weapon that he's not supposed. Actually, he's no one says he's even going to create one. The possession of the plans is sufficient to get him arrested. Yeah. An arrest he's so fearful of that he flees from the cops. And punches another officer. 
Where does he think he's going to go? How do you escape Deep Space Nine? I don't know. I think we could have constructed an entire episode about Ensign Bertram. Give us the <laughs> Field of Fire episode that's from Bertram's perspective. Wow. Kind of a weird Lower Decks episode where there's <laughs> the crime happening in the background and we're just kind of hearing about it. Lower Decks uh, after dark. <laughs> CSI Lower Decks. Bertram acting crazy is enough to earn my Shimoda. What about yeah. you? Um, I don't think we get the name of this guy, but the guy that is in the reticle when Esri first tries out the gun and mm-hmm. is, he's like eating his breakfast cereal or whatever yeah. when, and, and she could kill him but doesn't. Uh, I just thought I thought that that guy was very funny casting because he was just like the most milk toast looking dude of all time. <laughs> um, so he's my he's my drunk Shibota for guy who probably could have gotten killed in that scene if Ezri had been slightly more suggestible by Joran. Do you think if you've been cast as an extra in those scenes, you're wondering why no one's really bothering with the makeup <laughs> touch-ups on you before you go to set? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Hey, guys, I noticed, like, my uniform isn't tailored very well, and and no one has put any makeup on my face. Why is that? Oh, it's it's because you're going to be at 480i with, like, a green mask. Yeah. We're going uh, to put a tobacco filter in front of the lens with a... With a plus symbol in the middle. Here's, here's some advice. Don't tell any relatives that uh, that this is your big break. Yeah. This is not the one you want to get the family together to watch the TV all together. Gotta get that, get that gold press action. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it. With Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. 
That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Hi, Adam Pranica here for Podshop.biz, the easy way to dress, drink, and decorate virtually anything fast with embarrassment that lasts. Podshop.biz is not a cult, and it's not a multi-level marketing scheme. It's a supercharged carousel of crap spinning at a high rate of speed for all your dorky needs. Ordinary web stores are a mess, but with Podshop.biz, you'll find products from all of our shows referring to many of our most popular bits. Shirts, glasses, and bags from other websites can damage your mood, but not with Podshop.biz. Our nerdy, jokey bullshit will rebuild your damaged attitude and turn you into a person with riz. Turn your laptop from off the shelf to off the hook with a sticker. Make pool time cool time with our line of hilarious swimwear. And stop raw-dogging your smartphone. Strap it up with the choice of designs that'll have you go from saying hello to hello. But that's not all. At podshop.biz, you can choose from the Brenner Information Systems Collection, the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporate Collection, this old enterprise, logos for Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek, and more. Order now at podshop.biz. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. All right, well, uh, gather the family around as we consult the game of buttholes. Will the profits and figure out how we're going to watch the very next episode of Deep Space Nine. Currently, we're on square 41. Out in the deep, deep distance is a Coco Nono episode. Out in the short distance is our next episode of the show. Uh, And the next episode is season seven, episode 14. Chimera. 
a nomadic changeling asks Odo to leave the space station and join his search for their shape-shifting brethren. Feels like uh, it's time to get an Odo ep. Yeah, it's been a while. Let's see how he's yeah. doing. See yeah. if change leader shows up. Right? Yeah, she was. Uh, <laughs> she was looking pretty rough, Ben. <laughs> I mean, I'm just gonna say it. Yeah, maybe she's. Uh, maybe she's just like a a pile of skin flakes in the corner of some Cardassian station now. Gross. Hit her with a lint roller and you're liable to come back with an empty uniform. Well, Adam, I'm dying to find out how we record that episode, and you are the man with the dice in his hand right now. Shoot, that is me, isn't it? You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I was just stalling for time while I got the, the dice page set up, which I have. All right, Ben, I'm rolling this die. And I've rolled a three. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Ben, so we are on square 44. It's just two squares ahead of a Coco No-No and a regular old episode. Oh, boy. For you and me. Okay, wow. A regular episode. That is exciting as hell. (laughs) It's so exciting. I'm looking forward to it. I'm also looking forward to hearing from the network that lots and lots of people listened to the end of the episode and went to MaximumFun.org slash join and set up a recurring monthly membership. That's right, Ben. Friends of DeSoto listen to the very end of all the episodes, thus making sure we can count this as one entire listen (laughs) from each one of you for whatever reason of paramount importance to us going forward. Yeah. Uh, we super appreciate it. We also appreciate Adam Ragusia, who makes all the original theme music for this show. And, uh, of course, he based his work on the original Picard song by Dark Materia. But Adam Ragusia has now gone on to found a YouTube channel all about cooking. He's going to teach you how to cook in your home. He's great at it, and it's really fun to watch his videos. You're going to learn a ton and be entertained at the same time. He's a great teacher. He really is. He, he was a college professor before he was a, a YouTuber, so he knows how to distill information into useful nuggets. That's what I'm saying. He'll probably teach you how to make some nuggets, too. Let me tell you something. You're not going to nod off in one of the Goose's classes. No. You're not going to want to sit in the back of that auditorium while he teaches you about tomatoes or seasoning your cutting board. No. You don't want to get up front. Follow the Goose on YouTube and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We have the at greatest Trek accounts over there being run by our beloved car daddy, Bill Tilly. Uh, he makes them very fun to follow and uh, two very distinct, different follows, I would say. You want to get out of your bubble with Greatest Gen, start following different things. Yeah. There's, uh, there's, there's Miriam Facebook groups out there. We got uh, the Discord we've been told about. Yep. Uh, so many places to meet a friend of DeSoto. There's a there's a Peloton hashtag for Jim Shimoda. No ben, kidding. Did you know that? Wow. <laughs> People pedaling their bikes. That's neat. And, uh, and, and repping the show. That's awesome. I love to hear it. Well, with that, we'll be back at you next time with yet another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. An episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that is... Long for the ride with Odo, and uh, it's probably going to be one of those wet rides, right? You may get wet, you probably will get soaked. <laughs> you will get wet, you you'll, you may get soaked? Is that what you that will is? get wet, you may get soaked. Oh, man. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fun. Get it, player. <laughs> I love those rides. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.